Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. We're going to kick off a new series um, in August, and um, I'm going to be taking a little break from the podcast, and I'm going to be bringing in our very own senior correspondent, Lara O'Reilly, to take over the podcast for the next four episodes. Lara, welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for letting me do this. Yeah, no, I'm excited to to have this uh, have this done. Um, so tell us a little bit about the guests you're going to be talking to over the next month. Sure. Okay. Well, first up, we've got Blake Chanley. He's the VP of Global Business Solutions at TikTok uh, for the US and Europe. So clearly TikTok's been kind of flying high over the last year, spending gobs of money on advertising, getting all sorts of users, but now it's caught in the political crosshairs between the US and, and China and even facing a possible ban. So we we talk all about that and um, obviously how it's kind of courting advertisers and influencers too. Okay. And who else? There's three others. That's true. Yes, we, we do have three more. Um, so we'll also have Craig Newmark, if you remember him, Craig of Craigslist oh, yeah. fame. Um, so he's now a philanthropist who invests um, millions of dollars in kind of media companies, um, kind of companies that work, companies or kind of organizations that work in areas like voter protection and women in technology and veterans. Um then we'll change gear a bit. We'll have uh, Linda Yaccarino. She's um, chairman of NBC Universal Advertising. They've clearly had quite the year. We've seen the death of live sports. We've seen um, all sorts of stuff happen in the TV ad market. The mm-hmm. the upfronts has been kind of thrown into disarray. Um, Peacock. And, it, and then they Peacock. launched Peacock. Um, so their new streaming service. So I'm sure she's going to have a bunch of stuff to tell us about that. And just clearly so much to talk about just the changing nature of the TV business really, um, which really hasn't changed that much, um, certainly the way it does deals for, for decades. So mm-hmm. um, clearly lots to talk about. And then we'll also be speaking to Chris Best. So Chris Best is the CEO of Substack, which is kind of fast becoming the the side hustler's best friend, the uh, the newsletter company. Um, and certainly in the case of some journalists, perhaps their, their core hustle. Mm-hmm. So that's our four for August okay. and um, yeah, hopefully a good good variety of conversations and, um, and then we'll, we'll look forward to welcoming you back. Okay. Well, I'm in Miami now, so I'm going to be listening to them on the beach. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to get on to uh, Lara's first interview with uh, TikTok's Blake Janley. A quick editor's note, as you probably know, the TikTok news cycle is frenetic at the moment. This episode was recorded on Thursday, July the 30th. That was before President Trump said the US was looking to ban the app. But now Microsoft, after a discussion uh, between Trump and its CEO, Satya Nadella, is apparently looking to buy the app in the US and run TikTok's operations in the States, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. And no doubt there'll be more news to follow. But for now, do enjoy our conversation with TikTok VP of Global Business Solutions, Blake Chandley. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome Blake Chanley to the podcast. Blake is the Vice President of Global Business Solutions at TikTok for the US and Europe. And as you no doubt know, the app has been wildly successful in attracting users and really embedding itself into Gen Z popular culture over the last couple of years. So we'll be discussing how TikTok has been working with advertisers and influencers. And we'll also, of course, talk about TikTok being caught in the increasingly tense political crosshairs between the US and China. So lots of ground to cover here today. Blake, welcome to the Diddy Day podcast. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, definitely exciting times right now. 
very busy, I'm sure. Um, so before we dive into TikTok, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you first. So probably your first big job was actually over here in London as commercial director for Yahoo in the UK. So um, how did you kind of end up in the digital media business in the first place? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was an entrepreneur for most of my life. And so I'd started a bunch of companies back in the early days of the web and um, most of which were unsuccessful. <laughs> and uh, and it, it led me to the last one of which we sold. And it, it kind of gave me a chance to think about what I wanted to do. And I ended up at Yahoo in New York, uh, building some businesses for Yahoo. And then I was given the opportunity to move over to London um, and to help, uh, help, help run the, the business in the UK, which was an amazing opportunity. That was probably what, 13 or 14 years ago now. And um, it led to an amazing chapter I loved my time in London. I was there for six or seven years. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a, a great period of time. In 2007, then, you left Yahoo and you know this kind of big tech colossus at the time to join this little-known startup called Facebook. So how did that come about? How did they start courting you? <laughs> great story. The, um, back in 2006, I'd gotten a call from a, a close friend, and uh, he was he was at, at at Facebook at the time, and um, Facebook was still just a college app. Like, so you, I couldn't even go in and do research on it. And at that time, Yahoo and, and some others were considering buying Facebook. So there was Facebook was still this this very small platform. Um, the the concept of the social graph and having your real identity online was was just not a reality yet. Um, and so we got called in 2016 about potentially joining, and and I, I I turned down that that opportunity. And then a year later. Um, uh, they came back and said, Hey, you know, we keep hearing you're the person we really want to have, you know, launch Facebook in, in the UK and, and then potentially the rest of the world. And, uh, the timing was right. There were some things going on at Yahoo. And, and, and so I, I remember uh, meeting Mark Zuckerberg in, uh, in New York to, to interview with him. And, uh, once you meet someone like that, I mean, Mark say, uh, I kind of came out of it feeling like I'd met Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or now Mark Zuckerberg. And, uh, he's just an amazing founder that I, you know, I, I was just, I was blown away by his passion and what he was trying to accomplish, uh, which was creating this concept of social graph and allowing people to connect with themselves and, and other things through this graph. At the time, that was, it was, it was, it was just, it, people, hindsight's twenty twenty. At the time, that was unprecedented. Um, so I joined and uh, had an amazing run uh, for 10 years at, uh, at, at, at Facebook. So Mark Zuckerberg, if I if I remember rightly, was kind of notoriously um, dismissive, shall I say, of, of the ads business at first. It wasn't his kind of first priority. So what kind of questions was he asking you in that interview? Listen, I think that you know he was trying to understand. He was very very mature for for at that time he was still very young, and I was really impressed by his knowledge of the European markets um, and what he wanted to do. And you're right, in the beginning he. He wanted brands. He felt that brands could play a role in the platform, but not if they were just doing what they were doing at that point, which was being very disruptive to a user experience, right? Um, and so uh, the priority was building a user base and and growing that user base around the world. And if you have brands and ads, and at that time there wasn't a feed, like Facebook was still very young. It's changed considerably since then. Um, he wanted to make sure that the priority was on the user and that everything revolved around you know, creating a, a unique experience for the user. 
Okay, so you had this kind of great run at Facebook. You you were there during the IPO. Um, and, you know, as I say, you, you kind of elevated up into different roles throughout. And then I guess it probably seems like a lifetime ago now, but you joined TikTok last summer. Um, so yeah. I guess the same question that, you know, how did they begin courting you? And did you have kind of any doubts? You clearly had this, um, you know, a plum role <laughs> in a well-known company. And now this little known Chinese company comes knocking at your door. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's <laughs> I, got, I got a call probably in, I guess it would have been um, 2018, end of 2018, from a recruiter in Hong Kong. And he asked uh, if, uh, if I'd consider having a conversation around this company, TikTok and ByteDance. I'd never heard of either one of them, by the way, but I was reading a book called AI Superpowers, which is an amazing book. Um, it just talked about this kind of movement between the U.S. and China, and specifically Silicon Valley and Beijing. And, uh, and it was just interesting. I was not looking for a big global effort again. Um, we all know that it takes an enormous amount of effort, these jobs. And uh, so first I was reluctant to even have a conversation. But then again, I got to meet uh, the founder and, and CEO of ByteDance, Ming, and I just found it was a very similar experience and conversation that I had with Mark, a very thoughtful um, individual who was really focused on trying to create real value for consumers and doing it differently and using technology. And, um, you know, TikTok was this overseas uh, you know, business. And at the time, it was still, still, I would say, relatively nascent in terms of the content and, and the audience. Um but what I saw was this enormous energy from a you know, kind of a 13 to 17 year old audience, which was the exact same situation back at, at Facebook, right? Um, and the amount of time that was going into this platform as I started you know, hearing from you know, different people and doing some research and, you know, this audience, um, you know, Gen Z and, and increasingly millennials, um, were, were not spending time on, on the traditional platforms. They weren't spending time on, on, on certainly not Facebook or Instagram and even not Snap. You know, this new company, TikTok, the platform was becoming the platform of choice for that audience. Um, and that's a very powerful place to be. And so um, did a lot, did a little bit more dil diligence, had some conversation, a number of conversations with my, my, my wonderful uh, wife, Jamie, and ultimately uh, took the job and joined TikTok in April of 2019. And I mean, so clearly you saw that the opportunity in this younger, very engaged audience, but clearly there, there was a hill to climb as far as, you know, from the business perspective, you'd, you'd seen how Facebook was this money-making machine. Um, I mean, what, what were your thoughts there on how you could build a, a real business with this? Yeah, I think that the... As you know, wherever there's an audience, and the audience spending a lot of time, um, and, and remember, the TikTok platform is is different. Like, so it's not a social platform; it's a content platform, and the user experience is uh, is very different. It's audio on, it's full screen, vertical video. It's very very immersive. Uh, the for you feed uh, identifies your interests very quickly and serves you content. Um, in short form content and you quickly find yourself spending a lot of time there, right? And when you have that kind of a phenom phenomenon taking place, um, brands want to be in that environment. And the real question was in the beginning, we were, and I would say we're still on a, on a journey uh, to create the right environment for brands. Uh, 
But we had an opportunity to do something that would be new. And so an opportunity to create a platform that allowed brands to storytell again. Uh, We we could make our own choices on whether what those ads would look like and what those formats would be. And so uh, in the beginning, it was was just this amazing, almost like a, a clean, like a clean piece of paper that we could, you know, work from. And so we're building what we think is a new type and a new approach. And you know, we launched our, our, uh, our, our um, TikTok for business platform a couple of weeks ago. So our rebranding at the new fronts in the US. And, uh, and we also launched a, a new tag, which is don't make ads, make TikToks. And so the idea is, you know, how do we how do we introduce brands in a really authentic way? And how do we move away from the world of programmatic, which has become, you know, it's pretty much all encompassing in, in the rest of, you know, the web and mobile. Um, and how do we actually create a new way for brands to uh, present themselves and engage with audiences at scale? Right. And so that is a pretty exciting opportunity and proposition. Anytime you introduce new things, like there, there's lots of work to be done. Um, and so we're having conversations with all the leading brands and all the leading agencies around the world, as you can imagine, you know, trying to help them think through, you know, what does their presence look like on this platform? Like, how do they have a voice and how's that voice authentic and real? Um, how do you measure, right? How do we, you know, what does targeting look like? What does brand safety look like? What is, um, you know, what does it look like in two years? Uh, so there's, there's, there's enormous amount of body of work that we're going through right now. But the appetite from the industry and the support that we've gotten from brands all over the world and agencies all over the world has just been really inspiring. Um, everybody thinks there's a new opportunity here and, and they've been very, very welcoming, which, which we appreciate. So I guess, as you said, like advertisers kind of stereotypically like to like they can be stuck in their ways until they're, they're kind of convinced otherwise, I suppose. So what, what is your pitch to advertisers? Why should they move their dollars from Facebook or YouTube or Snap or even TV to TikTok? Yeah, I, I, like I think that as users and audiences are spending time in these different environments, um, I think that advertisers need to, feel, need to figure out what, you know, what role they play in that time. Right. Um, and I think all those are platforms are great. Like, uh, I think that, you know, there are audiences that can be reached and they can be reached in many cases with a high degree of targeting. Um, you know, the, the ability, you know, Facebook and some of the others and some of the ad serving and DSPs and others have a trove of data that they target off of in those platforms. And so you know, we just think that there's an opportunity to create something different. And so the conversation we're having with, with, with brands and with, you know, media agencies and creative agencies and, and the whole ecosystem is let's try and do something different here, right? You know, how can you be authentic? Um, what does authenticity mean? You know, what, what are the users' expectations on our platform? Our users, uh, the expectation of our audience um, is that brands are not going to take themselves too serious. You know, brands are going to be inspirational. Brands are going to you know, really uh, create something that the users can engage with um, and have fun with and, and, you know, I always say that people don't like audiences or consumers don't dislike advertising. They just don't like advertising. It's not relevant to them, right? Um, people love brands. They're inspired by brands. They identify with brands. Um, so we're trying to create environments where users can and audiences can find those brands and engage with them and connect with them in a way that they just can't anywhere else. And that's a brand's dream. I mean, brands want to be able to do that and do it at scale. Uh, 
but we've got to, they've gotten themselves and, and all the by the way all the platforms have done this is they've moved to this this programmatic world where you're taking identity off from all over the web and you're tracking people all over the web and across devices um, and and then you're serving ads based on that and that means the ads have to fit certain formats and so you've got a world where brands can't really be creative anymore um, you, know, you can only see the same auto ad so many times on different platforms where you go I get it right um, we just we're trying to operate from a very different place than that I guess you've you've kind of differentiated yourselves um, clearly by courting creators or influencers or um, whatever you want to call them you know the stars of the platform um, you know even in you've got this creator marketplace that links brands with creators and again like very early on it wasn't a, a thing that got kind of tacked on afterwards um, and you've you announced this billion dollar creator fund for the next few years, which um, seems enormous on the face of it. Um, <laughs> it and it, it is kind of, I guess, more of a kind of YouTube-like model. Is there a strategic reason why you've gone down this route? Well, let's, I mean, if we, let's back up a little bit. And I mean, creators are, a, are the lifeblood of the platform, right? They are a fundamental uh, part of the user experience. And everybody can be a creator. Like, I can be a creator. You can be a creator. Um, there are obviously some that are what we're like coin influencers who have very large audiences. Um, but really TikTok is democratizing creativity, right? So there are tools and features and functionality built right into the app that allow anybody to create really cool stuff. Like there's music there, there's, you know, there's different challenges and memes you can follow. And so that's what makes it so much fun, right? Um, and so, but creators are core, are a really big part of that. Now, whether it's a creator, you know, like Charlie D'Amelio, who's got, I don't even know how many more, like 60 or 70 million followers, or it's someone who's got 10,000, you know, a creator that's, that's doing something really interesting, um, in a DIY environment or with, you know, fashion or makeup. Um, so there's a, there's a wide, wide spectrum of creators. And, you know, we want to do a couple things. One, we want to continue to inspire creativity and, 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 and therefore creators in the platform. Um, we want them to, and they do view TikTok very differently. They view their relationship with YouTube or Instagram or some of the others. The feedback I've gotten from creators is that on, on TikTok, they can be themselves, right? So in some of these other environments, they really need to work hard. There's high production time required. Their audience there expects them to be very, to be within a box, right? Uh, whereas on TikTok, they can be themselves and they actually get rewarded for, for that authenticity and they can have fun. And, you know, the virality of the platform, because it's not a social graph, which is confined in the growth by, you know, people's friends and family, uh, but that if they create a great piece of content that resonates, the virality, the speed at which it goes through the TikTok platform and gains followers and views and likes and everything else um, is, is is something like they've never seen before. That's the one thing they'll say is like the speed at which they can go viral on the TikTok platform is just unbelievable. Um, and so you know, we want to create, we want to continue to create an environment for them uh, to, to build and create and everything else. But increasingly what we want to do is also allow them to make money uh, because in many cases this is, in some cases it's not, there are lots of people that are great creators, by the way, that have big followings that have day jobs, like, you know, they're doctors or they're, um, you know, they're construction workers, they're policemen, they're firemen, they're frontline workers, they're, you know, they're moms, they're dads, right? Like they're just average everyday people and they're just having fun with TikTok. And then there are people that are trying to make a living on TikTok. 
Um, and they're trying to make a living on Instagram. They're trying to make a living on YouTube. And until recently, you know, we just haven't had uh, the platform to enable that. And so the way people typically made money was they would go through the creator marketplace, which you just referenced, Laura, um, we call it TCM, uh, which is basically a place where brands can go in and, uh, and find creators that have similar values or um, you know, there's a bunch of different discovery tools allow brands to go in and say, wow, here are four or five creators that I really would like to work with. And they can connect with those creators and then they, you know, offline, they'll, they'll create a relationship with them and do a brief. And, and sometimes we support those. And there's a value exchange there. Typically, it's a fee that, that's paid to those creators. Um, but, you know, what we're increasingly doing is thinking, what are other ways that we can, that we can do, that we can allow these creators, this really important part of our story to make money? Um, and so, you know, the creator fund, which we launched, you know, a big one in the U.S. and we launched a, a large one in, the, in uh, Europe as well, um, is designed to say, how do we, how do we work collectively with the creator community to, uh, to allow them to make money? Right. And so that'll take a number of forms over time. Um, and there are different, you know, monetization, um, standards around the industry. You know, YouTube's got some, Instagram's introducing some, um, and we'll, we'll, we're working with our creating hours, but it'll be distinctly TikTok. We're not just going to go, Hey, here's what they did. So we're going to do it. We really want to do it in a way that benefits the creators, our users, which is a core audience. Um, and then obviously, um, support that. And, and how does it work? How do you select the creators? How do you select how much money they get? How, how do you work out if they're allowed a second go at it? That kind of thing. There's two ways to look at There's I guess there's two answers to this one. Um, for the, for the first model I was talking about where creators are being connected with brands, um, and then the brands are, are paying them a fee. Uh, there's some, we sometimes get involved and sometimes we don't. Uh, sometimes, you know, creators have representation, uh, and, and they've got standard fees they charge for brands to, to build content, uh, or build part of a hashtag challenge or, or one of our other ad products. Um, and so those are typically creators that if they have great experience with the brand, a brand has a great experience with them, they could definitely use them again. Um, and so we, that's kind of our first iteration into this. As the fund continues to evolve, um, there are different, and we, we haven't announced all of them yet. So I, I will talk about them on this, but, um, there are a number of different ways that we'll be working with the creative community, uh, to do that. Okay. So stay tuned then. Um, stay I, I wanted to ask about the, um, the the pure play kind of advertising side of your business because i mean you went from having kind of no ads to having a self-service ad platform basically the following year that was available to everybody um and you're clearly you know hiring rapidly asking you know, announcing partnerships with all the usual um people it's basically the kind of the facebook or snapchat playbook but on you know steroids um and I'm, I'm just wondering, Blake, kind of considering that you're recharting a path that you've already traveled, are there any lessons that you've learned from Facebook that you can apply to what you're building here? Um, I guess both positive and negative, you know, any pitfalls you've gone out of your way to avoid? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, the, um, listen, you're right. This company is moving very, very fast. And you say you, you reference, you know, Facebook or Snap on, on steroids. It's probably not a bad description. The, um, you know, the pace of innovation and the pace of product development is, is something I've never seen before. 
Um, we have an amazing consumer, an amazing audience base. Uh, we've got you know, advertisers that are you know, leaning in with us and, and they're holding us to standards. So like it's the same, the same, we're having the same conversations that a lot of people are having around brand safety and protecting audiences. And, and we welcome those. Um, and you referenced the, the self-serve platform. You know, this is one of the learnings from, from Facebook and, and one that I continue to admire is, you know, there, there, there are millions and millions of businesses out there that don't have the same access to advertising as, you know, the big brands do and the big agencies do. And so the self-serve platform is designed, you know, to create an interface to allow, you know, local businesses, SMBs, to have a voice and to, to access audiences in a similar way that you know big brands can. And uh, we launched our self-serve platform a few weeks ago, uh, and it's really designed to help small businesses connect with audiences uh, in a really creative and unique way. And so we've seen some, you know, some some good examples, and we'll continue to see some. And we supported that with a a relief fund of a hundred million dollars, which is really designed to help SMBs get back on their feet. Uh, coming out of a period of time which has been challenging um, at a kind of an unprecedented level. And so you know, that's really the idea behind that was how do we support SMBs and how do we give them access um, and give them the tools. Uh, and then that was something that I think Facebook and Google did. And then certainly some others have followed with their own versions of that interface. The, um, so that was a really positive learning. I mean, I think that you know, product development and, and building fast and, and building for these different customer bases is important. We've also learned a lot around, you can't avoid around data and privacy, right? And so increasingly uh, users, and this is the right thing, by the way. Um, remember, some businesses were built during a time when it was, it was still moving very fast and you know, identity and data wasn't the tip, the tip of people's minds, like users' minds, audiences didn't really think about that. Um, they just thought what a cool new feature or functionality or whatever it might be. And now I think people are coming increasingly aware and educated. And so, you know, how to manage uh, data and privacy is something that we certainly learned from and have watched what's happened. And, and we can kind of see where the world's going. And so as we're building products and thinking about, you know, product development pipeline, uh, what, what we're encouraging or what I'm encouraging you know, the teams to think about is like, let's not, let's not look back. Let's not, let's not build for what's in the rearview mirror for like, let's, let's not just go build what other companies have built from a targeting perspective. So I, I wanted to talk to you a bit about some of the, the challenges now, particularly with the, um, the ad platform. So advertisers can be a very cautious bunch, not least because, you know, they've, they've been burnt in the past and, when I've spoken to ad buyers, they've said that brand safety and measurement are their biggest concerns about spending with TikTok. And the concerns are kind of twofold. So perhaps I'll ask you them kind of separately. But the, the first is that while you've announced kind of lots of partnerships, as I mentioned earlier, for things like viewability and, and brand safety with all the all the names that you would expect, um, they're still in their their early stages, and you know, as as you know, um, advertisers are never in favour of a platform grading their own homework. So, what kind of work are you are you doing here? Yeah, and it's, you 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 nailed it. I mean, the um, you know, the number one conversation we have is around brand safety, and and followed by measurement. And so, you know, we are, and you're exactly right. As much as we have some first party capabilities and technologies. Um, yeah, we need to be able to have a, you know, third party has to be able to come in and, and audit and, uh, and, and give everybody the confidence that, 
um, one, you know, our community standards are good, right? And so I would, I would elevate the conversation to you know, community safety um, and then you know, obviously brand suitability. The, um, I think we've done a great job as a company. Like I, I used to, I used to worry about this conversation. And when I first joined, I was like, wow, how, how are we going to deal with this? We don't have all the third party integrations. Um, we've made it, we've made huge, huge strides in the community safety side of things. Um, and around transparency, you know, we've launched our transparency centers in the U.S., which allow you know, authorities or brands or anybody to come in and say, how are we doing moderation? You know, what do our algorithms look like? We've launched our transparency reports, uh, but we launched our second one a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, which, which is a huge, huge step to get into you know, much closer to industry standards around this. And you know, reported that in the second half of last year, we took down 49 million pieces of content and, uh, you know, 98% of those were taken down, 98.4 or something like that were taken down, um, before a user reported them. And uh, by the way, that's less than, well, less than 1% of our content. So it's, you know, we're, we're, we're being transparent about this, which is something that a year ago we wouldn't have been able to do. We just weren't as a company mature enough. So we're moving very, very quickly along those lines and brands are listening and watching this. And so, they have the right to have concerns. And there are some brands that we, we all know them and love them well uh, that are really what they call stewards of, of consumer safety on these platforms. And, and I think that's important. I think that uh, you know, they act in some ways almost as governing bodies and, and keeping us all in line, um, which is great. I mean, we do it anyway. Like safety is our number one concern. Uh, the, our communities amazing in the sense that it does bring joy. You know, if you think of what people do when they come onto TikTok and they open the app is you, and you can see people doing it. If you're not watching people actually creating TikToks, which is amazing. And when I'm walking around or, you know, just going through neighborhoods during COVID and, you know, people are on their front lawn, they're obviously creating TikToks. It's just fascinating to watch. But as people open an app and they just, they just smile. Right. There's always content in there that's, that's relevant to them. And you know, we make conscious decision last year, well before everybody else did, to not take political advertising because we knew that if politicians got on the platform, they would create an environment that quickly would be potentially a negative one. Um, and so our whole intention is to keep our audience really, really safe and, and to create that joy. Um, and that means protecting the community and making sure that you know our standards and community guidelines are, are in line with what our users expect, make sure that our technology and our algorithms are identifying content before it gets published onto the platform, that our moderators are quickly you know, responding to anything that, that, is, that, that is raised by our audience or our community. And I think we've done an exceptional job on that. Like I, I would put our platform on that regards against any out there. Um, and so I'm really proud of the work that we've done. And then yeah, as we continue to move towards the, the second subject, which is around brand suitability, you know, how do we make sure brands are adjacent to content that, that they find appropriate? Um, there's not bad language that, the, that, you know, there, there's this, this adjacency and suitability, uh, which is where we're spending a lot of time with third parties, um, and with brands. And we, we've got a number of, uh, of things coming out of beta in the next month or two that I think are going to be are, are really good. Now, what we can't do is just take what everybody else does and apply it because our platforms are all different. Right. So, you know, what works uh, for for uh, Facebook or Instagram and their feeds or you know, works for you know, for Google and YouTube, you know, won't won't necessarily work for TikTok. So we have to customize everything with these third parties. And the integration work is deep integration um, on both sides. 
And so, you know, sometimes those are six month integration uh, projects. And so we are coming to the end of a lot of those, meaning they'll be, they'll be released and launched uh, in the next few weeks and months, which is exciting. And I guess another element that feeds into this is just TikTok's audience itself. I mean, by its very nature, it skews young, which doesn't suit some advertisers anyway. Um, but I guess, I mean, one one ad exec put it to me that um, the the violation of, of the Copper Act, back when the, um, the app was still uh, Music Alley, kind of made some ad buyers extra cautious. Um, and this ad buyer just said, you know, it's a bad way to introduce yourself to a new market. So on, on that part, I mean, what kind of assurance is TikTok making? Um, what are you saying about being prepared to make you know, significant investments in, in people and, and resources to improve the safety of the platform, particularly for children? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that to address the first point, a year and a half ago, I think I would have agreed with the idea of it really skewing younger. I, th- I think the platform has evolved pretty quickly. Um, in the last year, and this is being driven a lot by the relationship with creators, right? So in the last year, you know, we've seen this enormous diversity of content and the content went from being primarily younger and lip syncing and dancing to all sorts of different content, whether it be cooking or travel or DIY or humor or sport. Um, and so as, as this content's evolved and diversified, our audience has, has diversified. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing grandparents and families creating TikToks. We're seeing, it's like the audience is, there's a misperception that we're really young. Um, you know, do we probably skew a little bit younger than, uh, the, than a Facebook or an Instagram? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, but once we start to educate brands about, you know, how the audience is, 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 is evolving and why, right? Um, and it all gears around contents, they get much more comfortable with it. The, um, so that's been, that's been a real interesting evolution to watch over the last year. And it was intentional by the company. Um, and then as we protect, I mean, we're adding enormous amounts of headcount, uh, in order to protect our users. I mean, there was, it was publicly announced uh, earlier this week, I believe, or maybe late last week, I forget that we're adding 10,000 jobs or into the U.S. over the next couple of years. And many of those will be, you know, around, you know, geared around uh, community safety and moderation. Um, although it'll be across all different functional functional groups, the company is making the necessary investments to protect the community and give people the confidence that, that we're protecting that community. Okay, so a- another thing that's bubbling, of course, um, concerns about your ownership. ByteDance is a Chinese company, um, and the White House has indicated it's thinking about maybe even banning the app in the US which is clearly a going concern for your creators, for advertisers, but I guess most of all your employees. I mean, is, is that likely to happen? And, and what are you doing to, to avoid that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, you can't help the media cycle. <laughs> so it's hard for me to, you know, to, to, to not say that it, we don't have lots of conversations internally and externally about this. Uh, we have amazing teams uh, that are doing great work, working with the various governing bodies around the world, uh, talking to them about you know, t- uh, TikTok data, where data sits. The reality of it is we, it, it doesn't exist inside China. Um, you know, it, it, we built the whole company outside of China. Data sits outside China. It sits in the U.S. and then it's got redundancy in Singapore. Um, TikTok is clearly an independent company and we've given people lots of reassurances and, and, and 
we've worked really hard to make that happen. You know, Kevin Mayer joined as the, as the CEO a little while ago. Um, obviously a, a great name for us coming from Disney, uh, decision making for policy, for moderation, for everything is, is done outside of, uh, outside of China. Um, you know, we have a Chinese founder, which obviously there's lots of media swirl around things. And we have lots of conversations with, with brands, especially I spend a lot of time talking to brands. Brands get it. Like brands, you know, most of these big brands have a presence inside of China. They understand. Uh, once we give them reassurances, we explain, you know, the corporate structure and how decision making takes place. Um, they get it. And then so there, there aren't very many brands that have, that have stepped back and stepped away from TikTok because of it. Our creators have stuck with us. Um, yeah, there have been a few as Instagram comes up with uh, with reels and some certainly should address. You know, they're going to be aggressive and bring some TikTok influencers over, and, and and we know that they're they're doing that. They're, they're targeting some of those those creators, and there'll be a handful that that probably do go over, and uh, and that's okay. Like that's just competition. Like we we actually embrace and and and, and accept and and really want competition. Competition makes you better. Um, and then our employees are just amazing. Like, listen, I've, I've said this to my team. I've said it to others, like, I'd not, I'd rather, this, this, this is the team. There's no other team I'd rather be working with on this. And yeah, once in a while, there'll be a question. I hold a town hall every week uh, with, with, with employees kind of all over the world. And, uh, and, and the question will come up occasionally, like, what's going on? How can we, and I've got a high degree of confidence company will get through it because I think we're, you know, we're, we know our story and we have confidence in our story. Um, and we know that we're doing all the right things. And as we tell that story and, and educate the community, it's great. Um, and the, the, our teams are, are supportive and we're just focused on trying to deliver value for our advertisers and, and trying to deliver value for our creators and, and try to do it in a way that our audiences and users, um, it benefit as well. And, and so if we can stay heads down and focused on that, then, you know, the rest, the rest will be handled by some other teams that I, I have a huge amount of confidence in. But I mean, there, there still is some influence from China, right? I mean, you say you're separate, but I've spoken to agencies who've been on calls with your employees in China, and um, the information wrote a piece uh, this week will be last week when the podcast comes about about how it'd be quite difficult to extract TikTok from ByteDance just because of all the software infrastructure that's, that's being shared. As in, it's kind of set technically possible, but would be a time-consuming and kind of difficult maneuver, as as they put it. Um, did they get it right? I think we have, we have a lot of engineers sitting in Silicon Valley, Laura. Like I think that everybody's got the perception that everything comes out of Beijing. And I think probably three or four years ago, you know, there's an amazing, ByteDance has a, has an amazing business in, in China. Um, you know, ByteDance Global's parent company and ByteDance China is a big company with some amazing apps that the company has built there. And we tried to leverage some of the learnings from there and pull some of the, obviously, um, the, the, the things they've done so well from there and rebuild them in the U.S. to apply to the Western markets. Um, and we'll continue to do that. Okay. Um, so I'm speaking to you today on what would be probably this, the, the second day um, of the big tech hearing in Washington. Um, and clearly, you know, you've switched to working at Facebook to now com- fiercely kind of competing against it. And there are, there are a war of words Um at the moment, going back and forth between your CEO and your former CEO, um, you, you know, Kevin got ahead of the the hearing by putting out a statement um, denouncing kind of maligning attacks from Facebook that were disguised as patriotism and um, 
Zuckerberg in his opening statements pointed to um, TikTok as being the the fastest growing social app. I mean, do you see there being a kind of long running tit for tat fight with with Facebook now? I don't know. Like, I think it's an interesting question, and and people ask me that question all the time. And you know, I've got enormous respect for Mark and what he's built. I mean, I think he's an inspirational leader. He'll go down as one of the greatest. I believe he'll go down as one of the greatest. You know, kind of entrepreneurs and, and businessmen in history. Certainly, what. He's built at Facebook. It sometimes can be controversial, but when you have a platform like that, you're going to be controversial at times. Like you're doing things different than it's ever been done before. Um, and that rears its head occasionally and creates this aura of, um, you know, it, it creates challenges for him and his brand personal. But I think Facebook is, you know, there's amazing people over there. I've got nothing but respect for, for that team and what's been built and what continues to be built. Um, you know, Facebook's competitive. Mark's competitive guy. TikTok has grown very, very fast. Um, I think that if it, 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 the numbers are, are big, the attention it's getting is significant. Uh, investment from brands, I wouldn't say it's shifting because I'm not sure we're necessarily fully competitive with Facebook. I wouldn't, when people say where budget's coming from, I'm not sure it's coming from Facebook or Instagram. I think it could be coming from YouTube and other places. And so within my world, you know, certainly we, we all compete, right? But I don't focus on Facebook and, and I know Kevin has been pretty quiet and there's been a lot of finger pointing from the other side. And so I think what Kevin was trying to accomplish, and I can't speak for him, but I think he was just trying to you know, kind of draw a long line in the sand and say, there's a lot of misinformation around our relationship with China and we're kind of being lumped in and politicized a little bit. And so I think that it was just his way of saying, Guys, let's just level set for a second. Um, do I think it'll be a, good, a lot of back and forth? I don't know. Like, I don't see us being a back and forth type of company. Um, I think we're going to focus on providing amazing experiences for our users and for our creators and for our brands and, uh, and let our actions speak for themselves. But, um, I don't know. Like, he, Mark's a great guy and Cheryl's great. And I've got nothing but enormous respect for them. And, and I hope to compete with them. You kind of, on, on, a, on, a, on an app basis, on a user and experience basis. And the hearings are being billed as um, antitrust hearings. I mean, is is Facebook anti-competitive, do you think? Is it too dominant? I don't like, I, we look at this, I mean, I look at this and say, you know, they are, they're a big company um, and they've got a lot of, uh, they've got a lot of influence in not only in, in, in the user world, but certainly in, uh, the advertising world, and especially in the digital advertising world, um, you know, there, there's there's really kind of a has been for a while really a duopoly, um, and I think that's because they built such an amazing platform that works so well. Like that's competition to me, uh, and yeah, I've been watching some of the some of the hearings and and I've read some of the excerpts from it, and you know, the reality of it is, Mark likes to compete, and and that's great. Uh, I, I think. In, a, in an open world, we should be able to compete. And, um, you know, obviously there'll be judgment on this and people will spin this and the media will follow this for a while. But, uh, you know, I, I think we just look, we just want to compete at a, at a high level and compete against the best, which, you know, means Facebook and Google. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that you're successful when Facebook either tries to buy you or copy you, I suppose. And um, when this goes out, I'm not sure uh, Instagram Reels might have even launched by then. Um, it sounds like it's coming in early August. Um, how do you kind of counter that? Do you have a kind of Instagram Reels defense strategy 
a, a code name. No, no, it's <laughs> not a code name. But yeah, listen, you know, big company, when, when, when new companies come up and start to threaten some of the, the bigger, I remember back in the early days of Facebook when Facebook was starting to gain momentum and, uh, and Google was the, the predominant, you know, champion at that point. And they launched Google Plus. Laura, you might, you might remember this, right? RIP. Um, you know, Google Plus was, was the Facebook killer, right? And we are the, we all like went, whoa. Google's now pointing everything at at us, and this is you know this is kind of scary. I mean, we, we were still a startup, and we were still we had we were, we were growing, and we had a lot of confidence. We built an amazing product, but you know when Google all of a sudden says we're going to put all of our energy and we're going to put you know, Google Plus on all of our properties, and you know search was so dominant, and YouTube and everything. Like, there was a moment in time where we were like, whoa, and and Google didn't get it right. Right, their DNA wasn't geared around the social pop. They weren't a social company. Um, you know, reels, they, you know, they launched, uh, you know, lasso in Brazil and it didn't work very well, uh, which was a TikTok uh, competitor. And, you know, they did an amazing job with stories uh, on Snap, uh, which certainly had an effect on Snap's growth. And when they launched reels, like we certainly are watching it, but we're not, we're not running away from it. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, we weren't building, we built an amazing experience for users and our users have voted with their time. And, and we think that, you know, because it's not a social platform, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable for, 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 for Facebook. Um, at least that's my view. Uh, we didn't want to speak on behalf of our product teams. Uh, but we'll see, you know, when they launch it, how well it goes. And I think it'll be competitive. Like, you know, and I, that's, I personally, I love this stuff. I love to compete. Like these are things that I get up and just gives me kind of energy every day, and I get goosebumps around. So, like you know, I think it'll be fascinating for the world to watch. But we're going to focus on our users and, and building amazing products for them. So, I wanted to finish on a question, just looking ahead. Um, as I mentioned, you're you're kind of hiring and launching things at this incredible pace. Um, the apps had according to to one count, more than 2 billion downloads to date. Um, You've spent millions on advertising. In the background, there's this intensifying competition and scrutiny. Um, I wanted to get, and and obviously you've just hired this new kind of hotshot CEO from Disney, but I wanted to understand kind of what what the kind of end game is, like what you want to achieve, not only this year, but where you see TikTok being in, in five years, 10 years, what's, what's your kind of, I hate to say it, it's a very jargony business term, but what's your North Star? Yeah, I think that the, it's a great question. Yeah, um, I think that you think about it, it's this concept of short form you know, video and, and, and algorithms that help people, it helps serve content to people based on on some indicators they've given. In the case of TikTok, it's, it's really content around interests. If you applied, you know, something similar to education, could we build an amazing platform, um, using short form video around education, um, and the algorithms and, and the, you know, and, and, and the ability to serve in a, in a feed format, uh, content around education for you know, a variety of different reasons. Um, there's a lot of different areas we can apply the same, um, technology we're building now into different verticals and categories. And so, I think that you know, lots of work's being done by teams that are that I'm not. I don't sit on that are saying, you know, what does the future look like? What do these vertical markets look like? How can we apply it? You know, what are the things we do well today, and what are the things we need to learn in order to be you know, to deliver a great user experience in those markets? 
And so you know, I think that uh, certainly the aspirations are to continue to grow. You know, TikTok as we know it today, there's still a lot of room to grow. Um, you know, as much as people say we're this enormous company, there's still a very large universe of users out there that, that don't have TikTok. And um, so we want to continue to, to meet their needs. And then as it continues to evolve, you know, understand what markets and how we can provide services that are valuable to our users. Actually, one last quick one. Um, so I barely follow anybody on TikTok. I just use the For You page. But what account should I be following? Uh, that's a great. I love that question. Yeah, um, depends on what you. It really depends on what you what you like. Like you know, there are all the big celebrities, and and you, and you can follow anybody you want, from Will Smith to to you know, Kevin Hart to to others. But there are some great ones. There's a. Uh, I like like the more bizarre, the better. Yeah, there's just there's one like. I like cooking and you know, in COVID because the last, whatever, it feels like 15 years, uh, we've been stuck at the house. <laughs> I've been cooking a lot. And so there's a, there's an amazing creator called that dude can cook. And he is, he's just so entertaining and he cooks amazing food, right? So there are a number of different kind of food, uh, you know, food, food creators um, that you can, that you can follow. Um, I also like to fish. There's a thing called black tip, uh, which is essentially kind of a name of a shark. But he does all sorts of fishing. He's got a great YouTube presence as well. But his stuff on TikTok is is really fun. Um, there, uh, yeah, there's just there's so many in different areas. I don't do a lot of following of individuals as well. Like I just like the feed to kind of entertain me. Um, but once in a while, I, I will click on uh, like I like sports, so barstool sports. Uh, I really enjoy. There's some great, there's some great content on there. Yeah, it can be a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, well, Blake, thanks so much for joining us today. That's a wrap for today. Um, and thank you for listening to the Diddy Day podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it. And you can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with a new episode. This one with Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist and Craig Newmark Philanthropies, which has donated millions to journalism and technology programs. Thank you.